0: Welcome to the KFAX Ministry of the Week. Each week we highlight a local ministry
1: that is impacting the community in Jesus' name. Our hope is to connect you to a ministry in which you can grow and serve in Christ's kingdom. And now your host for the Ministry of the Week, Craig Roberts.
0: You have perhaps heard it said, The most segregated hour in America is Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. That's a quote, by the way, by Martin Luther King, Jr., and to be sure, it was as true in his day as some might argue it is today. What is it about this business of reconciliation that sometimes we in the church seem to struggle with on the horizontal plane, when particularly so we have such a loving and phenomenal example of what true reconciliation looks like through the example of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for all of us, that through him we might be reconciled unto the Father. We take a look at this topic as we meet a new leader of Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Mountain View. He is lead pastor and speaker on the radio broadcast Inspired to Live, heard weekday mornings at 5 a.m. right here on KFAX. And we welcome not only to the KFAX microphones, but to the San Francisco Bay Area, Pastor Brian Lourdes. Pastor, welcome.
1: Well, it's good to be here, Craig. Thanks for the invitation to sit down and to chat a little bit.
0: This has been kind of a a ping-pong experience for you, coastally, roots in Philadelphia. You went to Philadelphia Bible Uh College. uh Then you made your way out to California for a while. Went to Talbot there. Went to Talbot there. Met my wife there, so it was a good trip. And you pastored one of your first churches there.
1: Well, I was on staff serving in a church. So a couple of churches, Bishop Kenneth Ulmer, I was on staff with him at Faithful Central Bible Church, and then I was on staff at Lake Avenue Church in Pasadena. And then after that, went to Charlotte for a couple of years, where I served as a young adults pastor, and then just felt burdened to plant a multi-ethnic church in the most segregated urban center in the country, which was Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee. Tennessee. And I was there for
0: about 11 years. And then from there to New York. New York City. And you barely experienced the first snowfall in New York. And God said, Brian, I've got a plan for you back out in California.
1: Out of the blue, God completely surprised us. We were enjoying our 900-square-foot apartment on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, (laughs) where we crammed in three boys. And uh, actually, I was doing the numbers, it's cheaper for us to live in Manhattan than the bay. I'm not surprised. Unbelievable. So, But out of the blue. I mean, we were enjoying New York, and out of the blue, there was just this open door and a nudge on our hearts to come to the bay and to love on these dear people at Abundant Life.
0: What was it about the calling in particular that that really reached your heart? And I asked that question because, wow, the San Francisco Bay Area, now you're going to hear a native speaking, so I'll sound mildly prejudiced um, on behalf of the Bay Area. One of the most phenomenally diverse, culturally rich areas of the entire country, and I think there's two from a spiritual dynamic, there's two distinctions about the Bay Area. Number one, if you want to go to the mission field, you're in it. Uh, anybody who wants to experience what it's like ministering to any tribe, tongue, culture on the planet, you'll find it very well represented right here. But secondarily, because it's one of the most diverse mission fields, it also has a reputation of being one of the most challenging. Four percent per capita. Lowest church attendance in the nation, right here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Some would say, wow, why do you want to come cast seeds in this thorny, rocky soil when there's so many other rich parts of the country in which to do it? Well, a part of
1: it is, you know, every part of the country has their own thing. So I pastored in the Bible Belt for years. And, you know, on the one hand, one of the blessings of it is you could assume a certain level of biblical and theological IQ. So you could say, hey, you remember the story of Noah, or hey, you remember that story in the Bible, and they would get it. The downside of it is, I called it elder Brotherville, uh, using kind of the imagery from Luke 15, where you have the younger brother, prodigal, but the elder brother, who's close to the father geographically, but whose heart is far away from him. So, you know, the Bible Belt has its share of, of disadvantages, and in a lot of ways, I'd much rather minister in a secular setting like this one or New York City than the Bible Belt, because when people come to church, they're not coming out of tradition as much as I'm really seeking and searching for answers.
0: Yeah, you don't find many cultural Christians in a place like New York City or the San Francisco Bay Area.
1: Absolutely. And I think the thing that I'm starting to pick up on is for those who come who are seeking, you know, the Bay tends to attract the best of the best. You know, just the transplants are coming in to work for Google or Apple or all that stuff, which is right where our church is situated. They're coming in, and they're they're used to being at the top of their classes. They're used to having, you know, uh, you know great scores on standardized tests, so on and so forth. Then they get here, and they're starting to make their money. And I've had conversations with uh, with some of them who aren't Christians yet, But they don't say it this way, but there's just this sense in their soul where they go, is that it? Mm. So I've got the Tesla. uh, I live in the zip code. I've got the wonderful house, got the prestigious job, and I thought I'd be satisfied.
0: Top of the game in all the senses in which we, from a materialistic or humanistic standpoint, measure success, and yet there's that God-shaped vacuum that still presents itself.
1: Absolutely, which I think is, is why Tim Keller has done such a wonderful job in New York City which again is a similar setting there are some some differences but him just kind of going you're you've been looking for meaning in the stuff of this life you're not going to find it there let me point you in the right direction
0: do you get a, a sense of joy and satisfaction from a pastoral standpoint and being able to lead somebody through the very basics To a level of Christian maturity? And and I ask that question, Pastor, because you reference the Bible Belt area, where a lot of folks grew up in church, they know the basic stories, they can quote Bible passages and Scripture. You start here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and it's deeper than just, well, in the beginning was the Word. It's, well, let me explain to you what the Bible is why it's valid for today, how it can apply to our lives, and then take them from there. So it's almost as if you're starting in the most minuscule baby steps in that process of introducing somebody to the truth of Christ in through a commitment to the Lord, and then eventually through discipleship and spiritual maturity. Is there something about that that Absolutely.
1: attracts you? So yes, but no. And, again, I am hardly an expert on the Bay. So, Craig, you, you feel free to push back on me. The thing that I'm sensing in the Bay is is that, yes, you're dealing with a group of people that Barna now calls nuns, N-O-N-E-S. So these are people um, who have no faith, right? Um, so on, on one hand, yes, I do have to start out with what the writer of Hebrews calls the elementary principles, basics. But on the other hand, my section of the Bay I feel like I can set the cookies a little bit higher on the shelf. So while there may be a low theological IQ, these are incredibly intelligent people. Um, you know, I'm thinking of, of one uh, gentleman who's at our church now who is a professor at Stanford and who at best would be a nominal Christian. Well, there's just this sense you look at and you go, that person's got an MBA from Harvard and that person's got a PhD and that person. So while I have to talk, basics, I think at the same time, I can almost be like Paul on Mars Hill in Acts chapter mm. 17 and almost almost kind of have more of an intellectual, philosophical thing that still gets to the heart.
0: There's also a sense, do you find, in many of the people here in the Bay Area, and specifically in Mountain View, in the part of the Bay Area, the heart of Silicon Valley where you're ministering, that they, they want something more out of life, as you yes. suggested. They've, they've achieved success— financially and um, in their career and in their family. Now they're looking for something deeper, richer, fuller, and they're also wanting to leave their mark. I think of the the millennials and the Gen Xers who are passionate about the planet and conservation and wanting to leave the place better in which they found it, perhaps. Is that a plus, too?
1: So... It's interesting you say that, Craig, because I'm I'm sitting here going, I I like to plan my preaching out about six to 12 months in advance, just kind of looking down the road going, man, these particular people, where do I want to lead them? I think what you're describing is the book of Ecclesiastes. Mm. And from what I'm picking up, again, about my section of Silicon Valley, I'm sure if I was in different sections of the Bay, I'd have a different approach. But where I'm at, Ecclesiastes just seems to be spot on. Where you've got a guy saying, hey, I've pretty much done it all. You want to talk about women. You want to talk about alcohol. You want to talk about hedonism, intellect. I've had it all. And my conclusion is vanity of vanities. There's just this real sense of emptiness and a sense of unfulfillment. And so I I think that's going to be a bullseye study for us where we're going. And again, our section of the bay.
0: And then from there, once having led them to and through that satisfaction, that fulfillment that comes in a personal relationship with Christ Jesus, to then help pivot them to that notion that, okay, here's a way in which you can leave your mark by playing a dynamic role in impacting other lives for the kingdom of God. So Absolutely. now we move from, well, let's save the whales to let's see what we can do to save humankind. Let's see what we can do to toss a, a lifeline out to somebody who is hurting, who is confused, who's troubled in their marriage, um, just wandering about and are looking for an anchor. Right. And, of course, we know that anchor to be Jesus. Right.
1: Which, again, from an outsider's perspective, just coming – here to the bay. It's funny. My first day here, Craig. You know, when you move somewhere for the first time, especially if you're married, you and your wife have to make the Target run. And we go to Target, Absolutely. And <laughs> we load the cart up about three, four hundred dollars worth of stuff. And we're we're checking out. And again, this is like our first day here. And the guy behind the the cash register is about seventeen, eighteen years old. And he scans a few items, and he goes, "Would you like a bag?" And I'm going. That's strange. It's a weird question. (laughs) Of course, (laughs) I want a bag. So I said, Of course, I want a bag. So he scans a few more items. He goes, You want another bag? I'm like, This is weird. And finally, it hits us that we're being charged for bags here. And the the, the thing, and I say that to say, the thing that I'm feeling about the Bay is just this incredible sense of responsibility to care for the environment, to engage well, to steward well. I think these are some things that are innate in humanity. That is, life's deepest satisfactions are not just in receiving, but we also kind of have this shared responsibility to want to give. But we got to put Jesus in the middle of all that, or it's just just general philanthropy. So how do we wrestle with that? And really the vision of our church is saying, we're not going to be a cruise ship. So on a cruise ship, it's all about you, you know, so you can, you know, get the extra steak, you can complain about the, you know, accommodations, the bedding, the food. I said, we want to be a battleship. And on a battleship, you don't complain about the sleeping arrangements uh, because it's it's not about you. There's a, what's guiding everything is a mission. And so we're saying, what's our mission at the church? Well, we want to produce reproducing followers of Jesus Christ. So we don't want to just – we want to take people from being consumers and put them on a continuum and a trajectory to being contributors.
0: I've read about you that you like to start the day as often as you can uh, in a time of Bible study with your children. You have th- three boys? Three boys. Three boys. Three boys. Fifteen, fourteen, and twelve—good age, isn't it? It's fun <laughs> age, isn't it? Um, it? Was this kind of a foregone conclusion? Was this something that your dad Crawford was doing with you when you were a kid of that age?
1: Absolutely. You know, we we tend to take um, cut and paste the the good experiences we had from our homes, and we want to carry those things over. And you know, I'm looking at my own lineage and um, and just going, man, I've really been blessed. I mean, we can, as an African American man, I'm pretty rare from the standpoint I can actually trace my lineage back to pre emancipation days to my great great grandfather Peter, who was a slave working the plantations of Asheville, North Carolina. And he was a godly man, loved the Lord, the family that owned him. This is a, the big conundrum here. His owners led him to faith in Jesus. And uh, he got married Uh, once the emancipation happened. The family that owned us uh, gave him 300 acres, free and clear land in Catawba County, North Carolina. Much of that we still own. In fact, I, I, I go back there from time to time. And that just began a legacy, where in my direct line, there's no such thing as a man who didn't love Jesus or a man who divorced his wife, in my direct line. And so what I feel... And then I got this unique name, Loritz, and I just feel this incredible responsibility to try to steward that well. And I was blessed to grow up in a house where both my parents loved the Lord. My parents just celebrated 45 years of marriage. My normal was sitting around the dinner table with my folks, watching my dad open the scriptures. He was my first Old Testament uh theology professor new testament theology professor all of those things and so i'm just saying i i want to just really mark my kids in that
0: same way so it's a lot about not only leaving a legacy a spiritual legacy but also setting example. I, I think how many, particularly these days, and you've written about this topic, the 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 utter, almost horrific degree of biblical illiteracy in the Western world today, and right. perhaps specifically in the United States. And I and I, I think that perhaps a lot of that is due to the fact that you know if we could have a show of hands of people listening right now, don't do it if you're driving. I don't want you to crash the car. But do you recall coming home? or in an evening finding dad in his study or by the bedside or chairside reading the Bible. And I think there's a whole generation out there for whom they never had that experience. They don't recall a time of Praying together as a family around the table before a meal. Uh, they don't remember mom and dad praying together, witnessing those sorts of things. And I think a lot of that is important because it sets the tone, it sets the tenor, it's the example, it's the mentorship, really.
1: Absolutely.
0: That then our children later on can pattern and say, I do it because I remember dad doing it. Absolutely.
1: I think, I forget which pope said it, but he, his point was the home is the domestic church. Mm. And so I, I just take it seriously and go. I mean, I can't outsource my kids' spiritual formation to their youth pastor. Uh, I can't. I can't just hope by osmosis that they catch it. I need to create an environment. But Craig, I mean, the other hand too, what you understand as a parent, and I just want to give some parents hope out there. You know, here I am a pastor with all these theology degrees, but I I can't control my kids. I can't can't change their hearts. I can't come up with a recipe to make them be godly people. I think all I can do is try to create an environment, do a whole lot of praying, and hope that God intervenes and does something uh, with their hearts.
0: Does that also underscore the notion that as much as it's important to provide that role model, to set that tone – that at the end of the day, God has no stepkids. Absolutely. We all have to have that direct personal one-on-one relationship with the Lord. And I think a lot of parents do want to outsource a lot of that. Absolutely. Pastors, yeah. children's church, what have you. They say, well, okay, I, listen, I put a roof over their head. I pay all the bills. Yep. I put food on the table. Now let's the other ex- experts take care of it and, and kind of step out of the process. But you can't do that. Can
1: absolutely. You? And you got to be humble about it. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we parents tend to take too much credit when our kids turn out right, and I'm putting that in quotes, hmm. and too much blame when they don't. And, man, I can't change myself. I can't get to my own heart. I'm, I'm dependent on the grace of God to do his work in my life. And, again, all I can do is set the environment for my kids and pray that God does something amazing.
0: Was there a time in your life, even though you grew up in such a phenomenal spiritual household that you pushed back? Oh, absolutely, Craig. You you know what?
1: One of the best things that my dad did, and I can't believe he did this. All right. So my dad's a pastor. My senior year in high school, my dad looks at me and goes, I'm going to treat you as if you're a freshman in college. So he goes, no curfew, um, you know, and just kind of really just took off the restraints. He goes, the only thing is you have to come to church for at least five minutes. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so dad just kind of let go. And new to those experiences, I just kind of went out there and pushed the limits on some things. And dad just kind of bit his knuckle. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Um, But at some point, I, I, I I did come back and uh it's it's a good thing but i'm I'm glad I didn't have a dad. If I had an overbearing controlling father who who tried to micromanage me, my personality would never flourish again in that environment.
0: George Barna has put forward some studies that are indicative of the notion that there are growing numbers of millennials that once have Tasted of that freedom generally they're off to college things yeah. of that sort they wander away and they don't come back huh. or it's years before they come sometimes when they reach the point when they're married and they have kids they say well it would be nice to give the kids some kind of a foundation so almost out of a sense of of obligation then they do it in a free and willing heart what is it that pulled you back
1: the holy spirit huh. absolutely the holy spirit it, it really really was and i had a tribe of mentors uh, again i came up under bishop kenneth Almer. Uh, he's my godfather, pastors of church. He was incredibly significant in my, in my own life. In fact, my latest book, I I dedicated it to him. Um, I actually had great godly friends, uh, who would challenge me on some things, which was great. And then to know that I had praying parents, My, my dad literally says to me, there has never been a day in your life when I've never prayed for you. Wow. So that kind of a prayer covering is absolutely significant. And my dad actually says he did most of his parenting on his knees. Hmm.
0: Do you think that's good advice? Is that advice you, you follow <laughs> yes. with your three boys?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely because again the older they get, the more you realize how little control you have. So then you go, well, well what am I going to do? Am I going to sit in the back seat of every date they go on, you know, at some point you got to trust
0: and give them space to do stupid stuff. Is it also a a bit of a test of one's own faith in the sense that, as you acknowledge that, no, you can't be hovering over them every nanosecond, that you have to not only cut them loose, but also have enough trust in the Lord that you've instilled, you know, the the, the adage uh, from Scripture, you train up a child in the way he should go, uh, that sense that you've instilled enough truth in their life? that there's been enough careful mentoring going on and parenting on the knees that even though they may wander off and make some stupid mistakes, as we all tend to do, that eventually they will come back?
1: That's the hope. But I I think we parents get in trouble. And no Christian parent would say it in these terms. But so many of us parent from the perspective that my identity and sense of self-worth and esteem is tied to the performance of my kids. Mm. Yeah. Man, that's just a daily battle. I I am not my kids' decisions.
0: Well, now that you're here, getting settled, yeah. you talked a bit about some of the vision. You talked about the notion, and I think it's a healthy idea for all of us to say, time to get off the cruise ship yeah. and get on the battleship. Yeah. Um, time's a-wasting, as they say. What's your sense of vision? Where do you want to see your church go? How do you want to see it influence Silicon Valley in the Bay Area. So,
1: a couple things. One is I've done mega church and um, thousands of people. I'm not opposed to that. I want to be a part of in my lifetime. Just people in mass coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now,
0: having said that, you, you give me very much the the distinction, the impression that uh, the mega church concept is okay if what only if there's that those smaller components because in a mega church you can hide very easily when there's Smaller components coming together, there's where a chance for the real work to be done, when that iron sharpening iron, when we get a chance to know each other and walk in relationship. If I just pat you on the back as you sit in the pew in front of me on Sunday mornings for an hour and we shake hands at some point and then head out of the church and comment about pastor's sermon, not much of a relationship.
1: Yeah, let me say it this way, Craig. I'm, I'm more passionate about a multiplication model of ministry than an addition model of ministry. So that's true
0: discipleship, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So um, I, I think you can have a large church that is really multiplying. For me, what multiplication looks like, it, I'm not interested in adding more services for the sake of services. Hey, you know, I was a part of a church that was doing five services, and it was fun for like two weeks. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> you, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm what I want to do is I want to raise up tons of leaders from across the country. We're bringing in uh, our first intern this summer um, who are interested in church planting and specifically planting um, uh, gospel-centered, disciple-making, multi-ethnic churches. I want to plant a bunch of these kinds of churches in the Bay. I want to partner with other churches to do this here in the Bay Area. Uh, I want to raise up leaders, invest in them, and then launch them out to plant churches selfishly in the Bay. I think that's going to be the future catalyst for really seeing genuine true revival happen in the bay area a
0: large k kingdom perspective as opposed to the small k my kingdom when i've had a chance to speak sometimes i will go to a church and say just a quick show of hands how many of you have ever led anybody to christ and discipled them absolutely and it takes about a minute for the question to even sort of <laughs> absolutely settle in and everybody looks at everybody and three or four hands go up and you think wait a minute What's happening here? This should be a part of normative Christianity for every one of us.
1: But I want to be careful. I I, I don't think, because I have the same experience, I don't think it's because they don't want to. They've never been taught how to. They've never been equipped. So Abundant Life, we are an equipping model of ministry where we're going to equip people to represent Jesus. We end every service at Abundant Life with three words. You are sent.
0: So this isn't come and see the Brian Lourdes show. No, this no. isn't. Wow, we got really we have got the choir. They cook no, on Sunday mornings. No, no. This is not spectator Christianity. Not. This is fully participatory, all in.
1: It's get what you need to represent Jesus Christ at Apple, mm. at Yahoo, at Facebook, uh, as a teacher in a classroom, as a student on Stanford University's campus. Get what you need to represent him well and the various influences of your life.
0: Don't put on my Christian when I walk through the door of the church Sunday morning Absolutely. and take it right back off the minute I get in out of the parking lot.
1: Absolutely. Everything is transferable principles. So we want people to get a sense of I'm getting this so that I can give it to someone else.
0: Pay it forward.
1: Yes. In a spiritual sense. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Well, it's been a delight to spend some time visiting with you today. I hope this is the first of many times, Craig. love to have you back again. And and meanwhile, for listeners that are saying, I want more, I want more, well, the podcast of today's conversation, of course, will be available at the KFAX website. We'll have a reprise of this conversation Saturday at 5 p.m. right here on KFAX, and then a full hour-long sermon Sunday morning at 12 noon here on KFAX. And if you'd like to get your daily dose, that's easy, too. The program Inspired to Live. Weekday mornings at 5 a.m. right here on KFAX. If you're an early morning riser, it's right for you. If you're not, set the alarm clock back a few hours and just get up a little bit earlier. <laughs> Do you know people your age die in bed? So get up and and get inspired to live. Information, again, about the ministry of Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. Quick, ministry times What time service times on Sunday. Ten AM Sunday, Sunday, morning. Sunday mornings and complete details about the church on the web at alcf.net. That's Abundant Life Christian Fellowship ALCF.net. Pastor Brian Lourdes, thanks so much for dropping by. Thanks, Craig. Loved it. Thank you for listening to the KFAX Ministry of the Week. More information about this week's highlighted ministry is available at KFAX.com. Until next time, God bless